And joining us now here on Market Talk as we broadcast live from the United Soybean Board February meeting in Nashville, Mac Marshall, USB's Vice President of Market Intelligence. Mac, good to catch up with you, buddy. How hey, you doing? Always great to see you, Jesse. Yeah, thanks for being here. Appreciate the time. We have uh, plenty to talk about in the markets, and I think just let's get started. We had that February World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates report on Wednesday. You know, that February report, there's always there's not really a lot that changes in that report. We expected it, but couple things of note, I know domestically, we saw a cut to crush. I was a little surprised by that. And then we saw the Argentine numbers uh, come down as well. And we know there's drought issues down there. So, Yeah, I think a couple things to reconcile. So one, you know, what, what do you do with the drop and crush? It really just got rolled over into the expected carryout. But it doesn't really change our carryout position. We're still looking pretty tight and went from 210 to 225. So not a lot that we're going to be starting the new marketing year with if, if that holds. Um, and it's really just a slight reduction to crush. But, you know, you said it, the more important, um, you know, I think market moving figure from this report was the cut to Argentine production. Now, their estimate is still substantially higher than what the Post has, which uh, came out last week, says 36 million tons, which, uh, you know, was pretty steep from the January number of 45 and a half. And you see a 4 million ton cut uh, any any WASI, particularly internationally, and that, that does jump out. So it's, it's reflective... Um, you know, of the ongoing drought conditions. Um, Argentina's obviously been suffering for a couple of years in a row. The other thing that I noticed just on the international balance sheets um, is, you know, slight uptick in those Brazilian exports. Uh, a lot of that attributable, I think, to Argentina needing to backfill its supply to keep its crush running at a decent capacity. So, you know, importing more Brazilian beans than they typically would. Yeah, and I think as far as that goes, watching logistics, I think, is going to be a big thing there. How much can Brazil get down the Paraná River to Argentina? Obviously, they're having a few delays with harvest in Brazil, although we are pretty much expecting, it's pretty much confirmed that they're going to have a record soybean crop. So I think it's just a matter of what can they get down river to Argentina? Which is not something you can take for granted, particularly when you've had a lot of dryness. Um, we ran to this, I think, two years ago, where our Parna River was, you know, at very, very low depths, much mm -hmm. like we saw this last year with the Mississippi River. You know, um, it really underscores the need for continued investment in infrastructure and everything that we need to actually bring product to market and help link buyers and sellers. Well, I know as well, thinking about just soybean meal in general, obviously that market has been on fire. Mm -hmm. Even Thursday, you know, up around $10 a ton, pushing back towards that $500 a ton mark in that front month contract. Man, oh man, this whole meal market as a whole is just just screaming higher right now, Mac. It's been it's been fun to watch, but I'm sure it's been a little frustrating to watch for some folks as well. Well, over the last couple of years, you know, we've kind of gone back and forth because we've seen this fundamental shift in that price and value relationship between meal and oil. Mm -hmm. Meal historically carrying 65, 70% of the value and, you know, oil 30 to 35%. Then you get to 2021 and you're closer to, I think, 42, 43% for oil and then 2022, closer to 45%. And then at the last, you know, last month of the year, we have, you know, the announcements that come out about the renewable volume obligations and just objectively saying that's, uh, you know, a little bit different from what, you know, the private sector was certainly expecting and what the level of capital investment would dictate. And following that, you know, we've had kind of this uh, this shift in the other direction where, you know, those oil prices came down pretty substantially, you know, immediately following that announcement and have, you know, stayed, you know, high 50s since then, you know, mm -hmm. where a couple months ago we were in the 70s. And, um You've also seen that meal price really come up as well, um, you know, just to kind of 
keep that value intact because you know whole beans as a whole i mentioned it earlier we've got a tight carry out the world's looking relatively tight still waiting for this brazilian crop to come online but as we look ahead post brazilian harvest as we look ahead towards new crop futures yeah we've got an inverted market and we've got a split between you know old crop and new crop i think about like a dollar 30 right now last mm-hmm. i checked but we're still looking at a really high price environment and you know oils maybe carrying less of that than it was you know four or six months ago but that that meal fraction is really really high at the well, moment well and i think too the meal side of the equation i'm sure this might be some of the side conversations here during the meeting thinking about our domestic crush capacity all these different plants that are being built getting ready to come online looking out here you know end of this year next year beyond thinking about the renewable diesel situation and more you know i know that's something that we keep hearing about and are excited about not quite there yet it feels like it's going to be a few more months at least maybe next year before we really see that having an impact here i think in the u.s yeah and i think there's there's stages to it right i have to think about this over a continuum of the last couple of years so i i my orientation in time is at the start of 2021 that's when we started getting these waves of announcements, not of the crush facilities, but of the renewable diesel facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you start to see all those capacity announcements, it ultimately gets up to, hey, we might be doubling the market size as measured by announced capacity from about 3.2 billion gallons to over 6 billion gallons by the end of the decade. Um, that's obviously very exciting. But at that point in time, in early 2021, um, that's great anytime you see a new emerging demand channel for the commodity in which you do business. It's incredibly exciting. But the fact is, you don't just grow soybeans and then all of a sudden you've got uh, a biofuel, be it renewable diesel or biodiesel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got all these intermediate steps to actually bring it from field to turn it into uh, energy. And the first thing that needs to be debottlenecked is expanding crush. Right. I mean, we crush roughly half of our crop now, but if the more oil is going to be consumed in the energy market, we've got to find a way to produce more of it. So it starts with with more crush. So this whole wave, I mean, I guess it's been chapters or somewhat episodic. And it was the latter half of 2021, we started having these waves of crush announcements that this felt a whole lot more real and less ethereal for me. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's really underscored by, you know, the players who are actually making those investments because it's not just your ADMs or your Bungies. It's your ADM plus Marathon. It's Bungie plus Chevron. It's Phillips 66 plus Shell Rock. And it's it's the integration and coming together of, you know, traditional energy or, you know, extraction energy players in the oil and gas industry and traditional ag, you know. And when you see, you know, these two segments of industry, which have, you know, traditionally not always been aligned, but they're coming together, seeing you know, a lot of the future promise and making large capital investments in crush expansion. I mean, we're looking at, you know, total private sector investment in excess of $5 billion, just back of the envelope math over, you know, what's been announced. But, you know, to your point, you know, there's still time for, mm-hmm. uh, for us to really uncover what's going to unfold here. And, you know, again, going back to that oil point and how we've seen a slide in oil prices over the last two months, um, you know, overall margins remain really strong right now. But as we look forward, you know, two, three years, when margins come down from historical records, 
and there's still planned crush expansion, does it still look as viable then? So, you know, much like with the renewable diesel, you can't equate announcements with capacity and you can't equate capacity with production. Uh, I, I think the same thing holds true on the crush side. You know, it's, it, it's very, very exciting to see the announced capacity, anything we could be adding, you know, upwards of a third uh, above our existing capacity. So going from, you know, 2.2 billion bushels to, you know, adding another seven and change or 700 and change or, you mm -hmm. know, metric going for 60 million tons, maybe to 80 million tons. Incredibly exciting. But, um, you know, that's some of that's predicated on the economics of today and the economics of two, three years from now. Does that look materially different? So it, it, it's still an open question of where crush will finally land. We will see expansion, but the magnitude, I think, until you have the steel on the ground and uh, until you've got confirmation of what's being done with some of the legacy assets, uh, it's something, it's a moving target. Do we worry at all with the China-Brazil relationship getting, you know, tighter? Do we see potentially China moving away from U.S. soybean exports and then maybe some of that demand is picked up by crush? Do we worry about maybe not necessarily losing demand, but kind of a net-net sort of, you know, between that move between Brazil and China and then what we see here? Do we, do we worry about something like that, or is that kind of unknown at this point? Well, I think it really underscores the importance of market diversification and market diversification across, across a number of different channels, um, certainly geographic diversification, which we learned incredibly well um, during the hard lesson of the trade war from 2018 to 2020. You know, that was a time when, you know, we lost a, a lot of volume opportunity for our number one overseas market in China. Well, China comes back in 2020, they come in strong, uh, you know, purchasing a lot of beans. But during that period where China wasn't as much of a viable market as a destination, our teams were working to continue to diversify the markets we were selling into. And you can take just a couple small examples, right? Ecuador is an example. Large meal market. We ship over half a million tons of soybean meal there, particularly as we're likely going to have more meal coming online in the future. Looking at some of those markets where we have high share um, in, in meal exports, where there's a clear preference for U.S. soy, and there's growing opportunity moving forward uh, for you know poultry, aqua, other forms of livestock, you know, Ecuador fits that to a T, and that's a market that wasn't really material five, six mm -hmm. years ago. So that's, you know, it's not the volume of China, but it's exciting when you can, you know, get additional placement and showcase and demonstrate that clear preference for a market that's got, you know, growth in the protein sector. Sure. Another example is, is Egypt. Mm -hmm. I mean, Egypt, people don't realize, I think, often that it's actually, on a country basis, our number three overseas market after China and Mexico. See, I didn't know that either. Right? Like, uh, I mean, EU, if you think of it as a whole block, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sure. Egypt drops to four. But still, you know, top five market there, you wouldn't necessarily think of it. But, you know, burgeoning poultry sector, a uh, lot of runway for growth in the aquaculture sector. But you also have to balance that with some of the realities of today. Like, a lot of emerging markets right now are, you know, under fiscal and financial pressure. So it's harder you know, to import raw commodities, uh, particularly if your currency is weak or you have limited access uh, to, you know, international financing. And, you know, a lot of uh, emerging markets, because you've seen, you know, the currencies of developed countries, you know, get stronger as a result of central bank uh, movements and interest rates. Um, you know, that's, that's you know, been a, a little bit more, uh, more hard to manage and maybe a little bit more sticker shock in some of those emerging markets. But, one year, of course, does not make a trend. It does not mean that that's the environment we're looking at three, mm -hmm. five, ten years from now. And that's really 
the horizon with which we have to look and that our farmers are having to look at at this meeting here when they're coming together for the first time in their work groups to start building the portfolio of investments for this next funding cycle. And that includes, you know, everything that we talked about in terms of market diversification, you know, geographically, in terms of segment, uh, you know, meal, beans, oil, going back to your question from before, you know, that China-Brazil relationship, I mean, China's been buying a lot more whole beans from Brazil. Mm -hmm. China's set up to receive whole beans. Um, well, as we're bringing on more crush here, that pivots a little bit. So, you know, we're potentially holding more whole beans back for crush. Um, and, you know, that meal fraction takes on a little bit more importance in export channels. You know, because we'll be able to absorb, I think, a decent amount of it domestically, but there's still going to be, you know, several million tons of, of incremental production, likely, mm -hmm. that's going to have to go out through those export channels. So I think there's a lot of good opportunity in the years to come for, you know, not just the U.S. soy industry, you know, I think we're in a very strong position, but also for our stakeholders and customers around the world who, you know, have uh, ideally uh, increased opportunities for uh, getting to experience the attributes of U.S. soy. So a bit of a shift here, um, but, you know, I think the question that I get a lot, from, particularly from international buyers, is, is you guys are crushing more. What does that mean? Are, we gonna, are you going to run out of beans for us? And the answer is no, absolutely not. You, you look at, you look at the, the whole balance sheet, what we produce, what we crush, what we export right now. You know, even if we're scaling crush up by that full uh, incremental growth in capacity, we, we still have literally tens of millions of tons of beans available for export. And that's before you even account for uh, continued efficiency gains. I mean, like base germplasm mm -hmm. has mm -hmm. rated genetic gains. Soybeans are continuing to you know, increase yields year after year. So even looking forward, even if you assume flat area, we're still likely going to be producing more. So um, I think we're in, a, we're in a good overall shape here. Final question before I let you go. Obviously, busy here during the meeting, having a lot of conversations, a lot of talk about investments and more. Your thoughts on just gathering everybody together here for a busy week uh, during the meeting here in Nashville? Well, it, it is that. It is, a, it is a busy week. It's long days, but they're energizing days. Um, and I think especially after the last couple of years, you know, 2020, even into early 2021, you know, this is what I think our f maybe fourth board meeting that we've had, you know, post-COVID lockdown. Everybody's just so excited to be back together. And I know that that's a common theme throughout any industry. But in farming and agriculture, that face-to-face -face where you can actually shake somebody's hand and, you know, discuss these investments in a real way around a table, hear from other farmers from around the country, and then, you know, me as staff help to provide, you know, the best background uh, information possible so that they can make the best decisions. It's just so much easier, more fluid, and honestly, just a hell of a lot more fun when you can do it in person, <laughs> especially in Nashville. Well, and I know it's always great uh, when I get a chance to attend events like this and uh, get to catch up with folks like you. And I appreciate the time here today, Mac, as always. And great to talk with you. I'm sure we always. will talk again real soon. I hope so, and much like with the board meeting, I hope we can do that in person again soon. I definitely look forward to that. Vice President Market Intelligence with the United Soybean Board, Mac Marshall, joining us here today.